today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. <coughs> For I do not want you to become unaware, brethren, that our father were un- that our fathers were under the cloud and all passing through the sea, and were all baptized unto Mo- into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Uh, stay open to that passage in First Corinthians. It's a very interesting life we live. For instance, uh, a non-believer is at war constantly. And who is he at war with? God. He's at war with God. So he's in a constant state of battle against God. Now for a believer, we're also in a war. What is our battle with? Our flesh, ourselves, our flesh, and the devil and the world. So we're at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the, the battles that are going on really all depend upon God's faithfulness in both battles. The battle that non-believers are having against God, God has to be faithful. And God has to be faithful in the wars we're in against the flesh, (laughs) against the world, and against Satan. So God has to work in these things. Now, We talked last week about the goodness of God. And along with the goodness of God, we saw that the psalmist put together goodness with God's faithfulness. And that is exactly where we're starting today, where he left off. The goodness of God has to be good, and God shows it in his faithfulness to us.
God's goodness is seen because (laughs) He is faithful. His faithfulness is seen because He's good. They're tied together. Now, these two attributes really change how we live. And, and, and depends upon the battle you're in. Now, if uh, you're a non-believer, you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're at war with God. And the only thing that can help you in that battle, uh, because you're going to lose, by the way, in case you're wondering, you're going to lose that battle. The only way is to surrender to Jesus Christ. Then, you'll be victorious. But then, you'll have three battles instead of one. Now, the interesting thing that helps you win your three battles is... Somebody whispered it because they thought they might be wrong. God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. You have God's faithfulness on your side. You have God's faithfulness on your side if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have three wars going on in your life. If you have those three wars, you also have an ally and he's called God. And because God is faithful, you will be victorious. And matter of fact, the battles you have this week, let's say, let's say, let's pretend tomorrow, you're going to have at least one battle with either the world, the flesh, or the devil. Okay? You're going to have one battle on each of those fronts, maybe tomorrow. And I'm going to share with you how, because of the God's faithfulness, you can have victory tomorrow. And you're going to like it. You're going to wish we'd pass the offering plate again after the sermon. Because you will want to give more. Well, maybe. Here we go. God's faithfulness. We got to start out with theology. We got to figure out what God faithfulness is. So here we go. First, first, don't fly off the. T- hang on, button down the hatches. <sighs> you know what the uh, British did a long time ago? They changed the way you painted boats. They put on their ships a painted line. And that line was on a calm sea to be as low as you can go in the boat and be safe. They had a load line. Now, if you were over the load line, in other words, you put too much stuff in the boat, (laughs) they would stop you from sailing that boat. As long as you had the load line above the level of the water, they'd let you go boating and travel, sell your stuff. And in this life, you have a load line. Now, the interesting thing is, 
Your line may be different than my line. Your line may be better than my line. My line might be lower than your line. Your line might be higher. You might be lower. You might be higher. You might be lower. And every one of us have a different load line. Now, the interesting thing is, is that God knows your load. And he is in control, and he will never allow you to be above your load line. Isn't that good? Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Here we go. First question, always the hardest question. Why is faithfulness a perfect part of God the Father? Why is faithfulness a perfect part of God the Father? We've got to start with theology and understand theology in order to understand God. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Drop down to verse 13. No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escapes also, so that you may be able to endure it. Look in the middle of the verse. And God is faithful. Or, how I would say it, which is always not as good, God is faithful. Since God is good, by his very nature, he must be faithful. If God was not faithful, he would not be good. If God was not good, he could not be faithful. His faithfulness, which will be seen in his works. The primary way you see it is in your life. How he is faithful to you. When you need God's faithfulness, <laughs> is not in the good days, but in the hard days. The hard days is when you need God. Since God is good, His very nature must be faithful, which will be seen in His works, which will be good and faithful. God is faithful. In other words, any hardship that comes into your life is not more powerful than God. Any bad thing that happens tomorrow is not more powerful than God. <clears throat> if you look at yourself tomorrow and try to handle everything that comes into your life tomorrow by yourself, you will fail. Because there will be things more powerful than you. But if you attempt to answer and deal with everything by God, you will be victorious. You will win. God's act in goodness, according to His nature, promises to be trustworthy and reliable. His word is trustworthy and reliable. This word faithfulness comes up a number of times. In the New Testament alone, it comes up 33 times. We could have a 33-week sermon on the faithfulness of God. It is a big, big issue in the Bible. That's not even talking about the Old Testament. Huge, the faithfulness of God. It is huge in your life. It is huge in you making it through tomorrow. If God was not faithful, 
you and I would not make it through tomorrow. That's how big a deal it is. God is faithful. Because God is faithful, we can trust that he's trustworthy. Because he's faithful, we can put our trust in him. You know what they call that? Biblical faith. The only way you can have faith, either saving faith, living faith, or even doctrinal faith, is by having a God who's faithful. Having God being faithful, you can put your trust in God. God does not allow us to be exposed to irresistible hardships, overwhelming hardships. He doesn't allow us to have tidal wave tsunami hardships. He doesn't allow it. God knows what we're able to endure, what we're able to handle, and he will sustain us by his promises through everything. Another attribute that he has to have in order to be faithful, he has to be true. He has to be true. He has to tell you the truth of what you're going to expect tomorrow. He has to tell you what is going to happen. God knows the truth and only speaks the truth. Therefore, he promises are reliable and dependable and faithful. God always does what he promises to do, and we can depend on him never to be unfaithful to his promises. By the way, we have a common thing saying today in today's philosophy class that truth is relative. The problem with that is if truth was relative, then God could not exist. Truth could not exist. God's faithfulness could not exist. God could not exist. Because God exists and he's good, he is trustworthy. Therefore, truth is an absolute. Truth is truth. Because God is truth. God will be faithful to every word he has in the Bible. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're coming back. We're not done with that passage. Put a piece of paper in there or a pen. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 24. Verse 24. <clears throat> Doing these topical sermons, you know we have to go into a verse. We'll try not to take it out of context. We'll try to use what he says. Try to give you a little background of what's going on in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is he. Who's the he? God. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. He is faithful who calls you, who calls you. And he also will bring it to pass. What's being talked about here? How does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of this world? You need to be defended tomorrow from the world. There has to be a way saving you, protecting you, delivering you, being faithful to you tomorrow from this world's culture that we live in. How does that happen? Good question. Number one, 
The believer's future is secure. The believer's future is secured because of God's faithfulness in calling the believer out of the world. The believer's future is secure because of God's faithfulness in calling the believer out of the world. Faithful is he who calls you. You have been called by God, which makes you a believer, which saves you, which has the Holy Spirit sealing you. The future is secure because of God's faithfulness in calling you. The believer has to be called out of this world, becomes a citizen of heaven, therefore makes you an alien to this world, and you do not have this world as your home. Faithful is he who calls you. By God's faithfulness, the believers assured that God will not reject you once he has saved you. God will not redraw his call of salvation. He will not take his grace away from you. He will not do anything to change your salvation. Tomorrow, there is nothing the world, your flesh, or Satan can do about your salvation. You've been called by God, and you have been taken out of the world. The world has no effect on you any longer. You have been saved by the call of a faithful God. And notice the end of the verse, he also will bring it to pass. In other words, your call that occurs at salvation will <laughs> secure you getting to heaven either by rapture or by death, you will make it to heaven. Therefore, nothing that happens tomorrow can take that hope away from you, that future away from you, that promise away from you, because God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not stop the work of his calling that began at salvation. His effectual call got you to salvation. The believer has been removed from the power of the world. The world has no more power. It's interesting, it's written in present tense. So it's a continual thing. Continually, you are called from this world. God calls believers into the kingdom of God by a faithful God. He's a powerful God, able to do what he promises. The future is secure because nothing is more powerful than God. Nothing will take away his faithfulness. He will bring it to pass. The calling of God is directly connected to the fulfillment of the call. He calls you, you will be in heaven. He calls you, he'll make sure that nothing that can happen by the world will defeat you. Therefore, anything the world does to attack you tomorrow cannot take away your call of salvation. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So, tomorrow, the world attacks you. You know what you do? You smile. Because it cannot defeat you. It's been defeated by the call of God. You have been saved from this world. God, the beginning work of grace in your heart, 
that you depend on it because of his faithfulness. He will complete it and take you home one day. You're just on a short-term bus stop. You're headed for someplace bigger and better called heaven. Turn back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You have your finger there. It should be able to open it up right away. Go down to verse 13. Theology is that God is faithful. The world is defeated by the simple call of God. Once you've been called by God, you've been saved, you place your faith in God, you've been saved, that call of God works forever until you are brought home and presented to your Savior, Jesus Christ. But while you have tomorrow and you have victory over the world, the guarantee with your battle with flesh is not as secure. Here you go. This is why you may sin tomorrow. Verse 13. No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. The flesh that you have will entertain you with sin that has been around forever. There's nothing new that your flesh will come up with. Your flesh will try to get you to sin as many times as possible as it can tomorrow. And in order for you to sin tomorrow, all you have to do is to forget the faithfulness of God. That's all you have to do. Because God has a plan for how you are to live tomorrow free from temptation. You ready? You ready? This will make your day, man. First. First. What is God's faithfulness? How does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of the flesh? This is a big question. How does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of flesh? Number one. No temptation of the flesh is guaranteed to result in a sin. There is no guarantee of the flesh to defeat you and cause you to sin because of God's faithfulness. No temptation of the flesh is guaranteed to result in a sin. The uh, Old Testament, the Jewish believers in the Old Testament, the Jews that met in synagogues, they thought the biggest sin that the flesh can make you do is idolatry. Idolatry. Now, usually I don't agree too often with the, the, the Jewish rabbis, but this one I agree with. Your biggest sin tomorrow, your biggest temptation will be to worship something other than God. Now, what is it that we could possibly worship tomorrow other than God? Me, ourselves. You have the ability tomorrow for your flesh to tempt you to sin and do what will make you feel good. Rather than doing what God wants you to do. You will be the 
control the master and the one to be worshipped. Or you can make something else into what you want to worship. What else could it be if it's not you? Could be your children. Could be your spouse. Could be your home. It could be your car. It could be your golf clubs. It could be your job. There could be a lot of things for you to worship tomorrow. I agree with the rabbis. Idolatry is the biggest temptation you'll have tomorrow. God, He understands you're going to be tempted, but He's provided a way of escape. He's provided a way of escape. No temptation will guarantee a sin. In other words, there is no sitting there and saying, well, I had to sin because I was tempted. There is no saying, I had to do it because I was tempted. There is no forcing the believer to sin by a temptation. A temptation is just trying to get you to sin. A temptation is not above the believer's strength to withstand. A temptation is the enticement to choose to do what our flesh desires. Victory is always available for the believer. Always available for the believer. No temptation can choke you into sinning. No temptation can push you into a corner where there's no other way but to sin. You, there's no temptation that will force you to sin. There's always a way of escape. Second, what does God's faithfulness protect? How does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of sin? And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able. Second, but this way. God will control the flesh so that in some way temptation will not will turn will be turned to God's glory and the believer's faith will advance. God works temptation so that it will glorify him and cause you to grow in faith. Somehow some way that temptation you will face tomorrow God can use to either glorify himself or somehow grow your faith. God will work because he controls temptation. You do not. God controls but does not cause temptation. I want to make that clear. God does not cause temptation. But he can control it. God, by his capacity to be trust, is faithful, demands a believer to look away from themselves or their flesh and look away from their temptation to look towards God, who is faithful. Temptation in some way will turn to his glory and advance our faith. The believer can safely trust the power of God 
in whatever temptation you have tomorrow. Now, tomorrow, every one of us will wake up. Well, hopefully. Anybody going to stay awake all night? Okay, we're all going to go to sleep tonight. We're going to wake up, hopefully. All day long, I don't know how quickly it'll be, but you'll face a temptation from your flesh. That temptation may be, if it follows the majority of temptations, may be a, a reason to worship something other than God. But whatever it is, you will be tempted. And that temptation will never, never, never put you in a corner where you can't do anything but sin. There will always be a way of escape. There will always be a way for you to handle it, to turn it, to glorify God, and to make your faith stronger. So you have the ability to work trusting a faithful God to have victory over that temptation. You can trust God and his faithfulness to get you through it. What are you trusting God for? Look at the middle of the verse. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able that which you are able leads us to our third point. <clears throat> How does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of the flesh? Every believer can call upon God's power to defeat a temptation of the flesh. Your flesh is not more powerful than God. Whatever sin, temptation happens tomorrow, you have God. You can ask for help. And by the way, that sounds simple, but it's not what we do. We play with temptation. We flirt with temptation. We tease temptation. We try to have a bit of temptation and enjoy it rather than ask God to give us power to have victory over that temptation. Every believer can call upon God's power to defeat temptation of the flesh. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. That you're able, that word able there, faithfulness of God is pledged not to allow the believer to encounter a temptation that cannot be defeated. You can defeat the temptation that you're going to face tomorrow. To a certain extent, you're able to defend and defeat that temptation. You can do it. God can give you the spiritual power to resist temptation tomorrow. All you need to do is ask God. God, help. Let's practice. Let's practice. On three, we're going to say, help me. Okay? Just so we got the words down and we're ready to go tomorrow. Okay, you ready? On three. Help me. Okay, ready? One. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I saw somebody didn't do it, so we're going to do it again. Okay? On three, you're going to say, help me. Ready? One, two, three. That's all it is. And when you face that temptation, whatever it is, whatever it is, whether it's the temptation to gossip, slander, 
sexual immorality, whatever it is, whatever it is, you say, help me. And God answers that prayer. God gives you that word, able, power. He able, he's able to give you that word that will help you defeat that temptation, whatever it is. You will come out victorious. You'll be given spiritual power, and you're able to defeat that temptation. Let's go on verse 13. Beyond which you're able, but with the temptation, provide the way of escape. Provide the way of escape. Fourth. <clears throat> How does God's faithfulness protect a believer with the power of the flesh? God will control the flesh so that the believer has a way of victory over temptation because of God's faithfulness. God will control the flesh so that the believer will have a way of victory over temptation because of God's faithfulness. God will control the flesh. Now, some of you think you, God can't control your flesh. That's why you give in to it. But God can control your flesh. And he provides you a way to have victory over temptation. Will provide. Faithfulness of God is pledging to provide a way so that the believer does not sin. Now, some of you may not believe God that he provides a way of escape. And you already know you're going to lose to the battle of temptation tomorrow. You've already given up. You're, you're going to have a thought. You're going to think something evil of your boss. You're going you're to think something uh, murderous about your boss. You're going to think something you already know you're going to lose. You already gonna know you're going to lose. You will face temptation, and God will make a way of escape in every single temptation you have tomorrow. Every one of them. He will provide a way so you do not sin. Escape. You know what it means? The Greek word, it talks about a mountain pass way of getting through mountains. It's used with the idea of an army that seems to be surrounded and then they suddenly escape through a route to safety. A way of escape. Now, now, listen, sometimes the Greek makes you scratch your head. The Greek word here for escape is singular, not plural. In other words, there are not 19 different ways to escape. There's one. <coughs> singular, one. There's one way of escape that God provides in every temptation. Every temptation has one way of escape. One mountain pass through the hills. One way to get your army out of trouble, of being surrounded. They can be assured that God will provide an escape route that will avoid sin. You will avoid sin. Five, here we go. Fifth way, God works so there's no giving in to sin. How does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of the flesh? Five, God will control the flesh so that a believer will have a way of enduring a temptation until victory is won because of God's faithfulness. God will control the flesh 
so that a believer will have a way of enduring a temptation until victory is won because of God's faithfulness. He uses the word endure, the verb endure. Endure. Temptation which cannot be won. In other words, you don't choose the way of escape. You don't take the one way of escape. You then have to endure the temptation and stay through it. In other words, you get to work tomorrow, and whatever happens, you get a temptation to sin. And you don't take God's way of escape. You have to then endure that, maybe until you leave work. And you have to stay under the pressure of that temptation all day. Instead of taking the way of escape, you have to endure, endure. A believer must trust in a faithful God to provide the end to the test. And he is allowed to happen in the life of his child. The ability to endure does not come from within you. It comes from God. It comes from God. Now, sometimes... We don't take the way of escape that God provides. Sometimes we endure and still do it without sin. And God will keep us in that situation until we learned our lesson of faith. And when we've learned that lesson of faith, then God gives us victory over that temptation. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk with God, but some of you right now may be in the middle of that temptation. And you're enduring it now. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Even if it's idol worship where you're worshiping something other than God. Whatever it is. You are having to endure it. Because you have a faithful God. You can. You can. So we got five things here about flesh. No temptation of the flesh is guaranteed to result in a sin. There's always a way of getting through a temptation without sin. Remember, Jesus was tempted, but he did it without sin. God will control the flesh in some way. Temptation will be turned to God's glory, and the believer's faith will advance, will grow. Every believer can call upon God's power to defeat a temptation of the flesh because God is faithful. God will control the flesh so the believer has a way of victory over temptation. God will control the flesh so the believer will have a way of enduring a temptation until victory is won because God is faithful. So, tomorrow, the world is taken care of if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been called out of the world. Flesh, yes, we may lose some of the battles, but we will win the war. You do not want to lose the battle. You will do everything you can to resist the temptation to sin, to give in to your flesh. You will do it, whatever it is. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't murder. Whatever your sin is, don't do it. Then, third, the devil. The world, your flesh, the devil. Here we go. How do we defeat the devil? How do we defeat the devil? Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, this is, the, this is the first time in our series since November that I'm, I'm doing something different, and I'm going to beg your apology, but I wanted to do it. Okay, here you go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is not specifically talking about God the Father. Okay? Our whole series has been on God the Father. But this one time, I want you to see something written explaining somebody else other than God the Father. Notice what it says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Verse 3. But the Lord, who's the Lord? Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is faithful. I like that. God the Father is faithful. God the Son is also faithful. By the way, that means God the Father and God the Son are the same essence. Both are faithful. Both have a place in your life that you can count on their faithfulness. Not only do you have God the Father working so that you can handle temptation, so that you can defeat the world, so you can stand strong against Satan, you have the Son also working on your behalf. Isn't that good? This is, like, this is called double coverage. Okay? You got double coverage. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. <clears throat> How does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of the devil? Number one, the believer's spiritual life is strengthened to stand firm. Strengthened to stand firm against demonic attacks because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The spiritual believer's spiritual life is strengthened to stand firm against demonic attacks. Now, understand, I don't think that you will be attacked by Satan tomorrow. I don't think that. Okay? Uh, I think there are other things that Satan will be doing tomorrow. But it's quite possible that a demon tomorrow may be assigned to you to somehow pressure you to fall in line with what Satan wants. So I put in the word demonic attack. Okay? Uh, I do not think that he can, he can enter into you or possess you, but he can outwardly attack you. Okay? Now, if this demonic tool of Satan attacks you tomorrow, you need strength which comes from Jesus Christ, and you need to stand firm. I love the armor in Ephesians 6. There's no armor for your backside. <laughs> There's no running away. You are to stand firm against a spiritual attack. Now that means if tomorrow, I don't know what it is, uh, it, it, 
you're just going from the gospel. It could be some kind of physical ailment. It could be a physical concern. It may even be a spiritual, emotional concern. It may be an attack somehow on you in a spiritual, demonic way. Whatever that would be. And you ask for strength by yelling for help. Help. And God, because he's a faithful God, will give you strength. And Jesus will give you strength. He will help you stand firm against the devil and his demonic horde. The Greek term refers to inward rooting and grounding. Inward rooting and grounding. Your foundation is made stronger. You're rooted and grounded and strengthened. You're firmly established. You're capable to withstand any opponent's spiritual attack. Uh, whether it's a, a migraine, a, an ache and pain, maybe it's a physical thing, maybe it's an emotional thing, but whatever it is, maybe it's depression, whatever it is, you stand firm in Jesus Christ. You stand firm in Jesus Christ. The conviction that God is faithful enables a believer to look beyond the problem or persecution of the faithless and continue in the faith. See, that's what's going on in 2 Thessalonians. They're having spiritual attacks upon the church. They're having physical attacks upon the church. They're having the faithless attacking the faithful in the church. So they're having problems. And one of the things they need is they need strength, and strength comes from God, and God answers the prayer when you say, Help me! And God gives you strength, <clears throat> even when the evil one attacks. Second, <clears throat> how does God's faithfulness protect a believer from the power of the devil? Number two, the believer's spiritual life is protected from demonic attacks because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The believer's spiritual life is protected from demonic attacks. In other words, a demonic attack tomorrow cannot win against you. Cannot possess or control you. You are victorious over demonic attacks. You are protected. The Greek term, protection from outward assaults. You are established for the conflict. God will protect you from outward assaults. Anything that comes to you outwardly in a spiritual way tomorrow, you are protected from. The verb could be translated watch over using a, a shepherd, shepherding term. You have a, a shepherd guarding you, sheep. You have a shepherd guarding you. Suffering believers place themselves in the care and protection of a faithful God who protects you. Who protects you. Now, I've been rushing, so I get a minute here. Some of your translations in English don't have the evil one. You have maybe the evil. Okay? Now, in Greek, when you're writing, if the word is neuter, what you would say then is it talking about evil as a force. And if it's masculine, it's talking about evil as Satan. Okay? 
Now, this one threw me for a loop, so it took me some time, so I'm going to share you with you what I learned. First off, <clears throat> one time this Greek word is used, and the English translator translated evil deeds. Evil deeds. Interesting. One other time, they translate the same word to evil age. Evil age. Okay, which is interesting. Five times, it's translated evil. Evil. Five times, it's translated evil one. <laughs> so that rabbit trail I went down came to a dead end quick. Okay? So I got all kinds of different definitions of what it means. I think that it's properly talking about Satan because it's talking about the church being attacked. And I think the church is being attacked by faithless people and there has a demonic force to it and they are attacking the church. And that's what the demons do. They attack the church. So, I think it's evil one. You disagree? You can preach next week. Okay? Here you go. How does this apply to me? How does this passage apply to my life this week? Will I call upon a God who loves me? He's a good God, therefore He loves me. He's a faithful God. Will He loves me and will be always faithful to me, to His promises of deliverance and power. He promises you that nothing can defeat you tomorrow. The world cannot defeat you because you've been called out of the world. The flesh cannot be defeat you because God will always make a way of escape. <clears throat> Satan cannot defeat you. There's no way he can possess or control you or have an influence upon you that defeats you. You have victory over him because of the death of Jesus Christ and his victory on the cross. You will be victorious. Now, tomorrow, when you're tempted, don't say, oh, darn it, I'm tempted again, let's go sin. Because then you're just losing. And if you lose, God will not use. And you want to be used. God's faithfulness is associated with Every day, he brings another member of the, his church home through death or rapture. God is faithful. But since we're going through Romans, and we're going to get to Romans chapter 3 sooner or later, Romans chapter 3, verse 3 says, What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Paul writes questions, especially in Romans, that he wants them to answer, and he answers his own question. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God. The expected answer is no. Jesus Christ will be faithful to non-believers. Let me talk about his faithfulness to non-believers real quick. Faithfulness on his part, means carrying out the threats of God. Non-believers who will be faithless 
will not know the faithfulness of God until they stand before a great white throne. God will be true to his own nature. He cannot accept as faithful one who has proven to be unfaithful. Let me say that again. God will be true to his own nature. He cannot accept as faithful one who has proven to be unfaithful. To do this would deny himself, but he can't deny himself. It's impossible. If it were possible, he would no longer be God. There'll be a day where the faithless, faithless will be judged. You do not want to be in that group. You don't want to win or think you can win the battle with God. You will lose. <clears throat> it's like uh, you're to go to your car in the parking lot getting ready to leave church, and some masked gunman came up to you and said, give me the, all the money in your wallet, okay? Uh, you know what you should do, right? Give him your money in your wallet, okay? That's, that is being forced to give your money. But if you're going out, leaving church, going to your, your truck, and you meet a con man things are a little bit different. A con man is going to say something, to do something, to get you to give him your money of your own free will. He will not force you. He will try to get you by cheating you, deceiving you, somehow changing things to make it appear for your benefit to give him the money. A con man will appease, appeal, to your fleshly nature. And you will empty out your wallet. And you will do it willingly. Tomorrow, you will be tempted. Now, if all temptation was by gunpoint, yes, I would say give them the money. But it's not. Because you have a faithful God who will not allow you to be defeated by Satan, will not allow you to be defeated by the world, the only possible way you can be defeated tomorrow is through giving in to the flesh. You may actually sit there and say, well, the flesh will give me a little bit more than my being righteous. It'll make me feel better if I tell that person what I want to really tell them. Or you can do what the righteous thing God says to do. Whatever the temptation is, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. He wants you to give in to that temptation. Satan does. Don't give in. Father, I thank you for this time and your word. I thank you, Father, for the way that you, you give us such practical advice, Father, on how to be victorious in this world. Father, if there's anyone in this room at war with you, I pray, Father, they repent and confess their sin and submit to you. I pray, Father, for anybody in this room that's a believer, I know what's happening, Father. They're being attacked by this world, by their flesh, and by the devil. And, Father, 
You did not leave us alone. You called us and did not leave us alone. You called us with a purpose and a plan of sanctification to help us to grow and be holy. You, Father, will use even these temptations to make us stronger in our faith. You will use these temptations, Father, even to get us to praise you more. And Father, I pray that you would be with us this day, this week, this month, this year, so that we will be more faithful to your word, your faithful word, so that we have victory over temptation. Help us, Father, not to fall and give in. Help us, Father, to be strong and stand firm. Help us, Father, to win. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.